Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. We spent many weeks in 1 through 11, and I know that some of you are glad to be moving uh, along to the next section, and we're going to pick up the pace a little bit here and look at all uh, the remaining verses of chapter 5 this morning. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us today. Well, I can think of no better uh, passage to think on than this one on Father's Day because we are going to look all the way back to the father of all mankind, Adam, and we're going to reflect a little bit upon our Heavenly Father's great love uh, great mercy towards us in providing uh, a replacement for uh, the father of humankind, the second Adam, Jesus Christ. We're going to be thinking about these things today. Uh, I remember when my aunt, I think it was my aunt, cooked a strawberry cake, and I like strawberry cake, uh, and, and, and it fell, you know, it, she cooked it and it fell, and, and it, you know, it became very dense and moist, and not a lot of people wanted to eat it, but I really enjoyed it because it kind of intensified the flavor for me as a kid, and I just ate that whole thing right up. Well, as you read, read through this passage, there's a lot going on here, and one commentator said it was very dense. Uh, it's, uh, it's an argument that Paul's making that is very compact, but it's full of theology and truth. There's a lot here, and we're going to try to... to get a hold of it this morning as we reflect upon it. Well, this, this passage before us begins with therefore, uh, which always points you back to what has been said previously. 
the argument of 12 through 21 follows on logically with what was being said in verses 1 through 11. And verses 1 through 11 told us about many of the benefits that flow to us as a result of being made right with God through Jesus Christ. So we have all these benefits that are described for us in 1 through 11. Peace with God, access to God, uh, rejoicing in God, even rejoicing in the middle of our sufferings. We can do that because of being justified by Christ, being made right with God by Christ. And as Paul recounts the many blessings that flow to us, to, to the one who is declared righteous by faith in Christ, a question is begged. And this is the question that Paul is answering in 12 to 21. That is, how can so many people be so positively affected by the work of just one person? How is it possible that what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection can have results beyond his own life? Or to ask it in reference to all of us sitting here today, how is it possible that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago affects your relationship with God today? June 28, 2017, tomorrow and then for eternity, what happened so long ago affects us in the here and now. Well, the answer to this question is a worldview answer. What Paul tells us about this in verses 12 through 21 is important in that it tells us how we can properly understand the world from its very beginning. And not only the world, but humanity from the very beginning. Why is humanity like it is? Now getting an understanding of these verses will give us the proper lens through which we view and understand the world and all of human history. It's all right here in these verses that we just read. So not only is it a worldly question that is answered here, but the answer to the question given here in 12 through 21 also undergirds our understanding of the gospel, which is the good news of what Jesus accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. How can it be that what happened 2,000 years ago has a bearing on my life today and forever? Well, if you don't believe that what Jesus did in his life affects you today, then you have no gospel. And to go back even further, if you don't believe what the first Adam did in his life affects you, or if you don't even believe that Adam was a historical person, which many people do not believe, then you have no gospel. It's plain and simple as that. So this is important here what Paul is saying in answering this question. How can what one person does affect so many? John Stott writes in his commentary on this passage, it is not that, in Winston Churchill's famous saying, so many owe so much to so few, it is rather that so many owe so much to only one person. How can that be? Well, we're going to have to do a little theology before we answer that question accurately. So I know when you hear the word theology, sometimes your eyes roll back in your head and your mouth falls up and in, you know, you're, you're falling asleep. But hang in there. This is exciting. The theology behind this passage is, is described by a word that's very familiar 
to all of us, but not in the context of church, the Bible, or religion. That word that describes the theology undergirding this passage is the word federal. Federal. Now, the word federal, especially in, when we think of the federal government, it may conjure up some negative imagery for us today as we think about the federal government. Uh, but the word here is used a little differently. The word has transferred over time, changed meaning over time as it's used in reference to government. But the word federal originates from the Latin word for covenant. The Latin word for covenant. A covenant unites you to someone. It's a bond. Marriage, for example, is a bond. It's a covenant between two people who in the language of the Bible become one. They are united, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, as it says there in Genesis. Our government is federal in that it is a bond between the states. Uh, all the states are bonded together. We are the United States of America. Federalism, another word derived from this word for covenant, has to do with representation. Of course, our government is a representative type of government. One person acts on behalf of other people. We elect representatives to represent us in government. And we get really angry when they don't reflect our uh, desires, our beliefs, and they don't represent us well. That tends to be the experience that we have in our days. So what we have here in federalism and the theology that's behind this is that we have one representative who acts on our behalf. And we see that in two individuals, Adam and Christ. And we're going to look at each of those in turn. We're going to spend a lot more time on Adam because I think once you see what the passage says about Adam we can easily grasp what it's saying about Christ. Because Adam brings us some bad news here. Paul's telling us in this passage that, that we as human beings are united to Adam as our representative. He represented all of humanity that proceeds from him by ordinary generation. And when Adam rebelled against God's express command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you, every one of you, being represented by Adam, also rebelled against God. You and I and everyone else except Jesus, we participated in Adam's sin. He represented us. Everyone sinned in and through him. All humans who descended from him sinned when Adam sinned. As the old Puritan primer puts it, you know, the letter A, they always had a little saying that went with each letter, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. So when Adam fell, we fell with him, we fell in him, because we are united to him federally. He is our representative, and he... He did exactly, what he did is exactly what we did. We did it in him and through him. When we had Sunday school a moment ago, 
we talked a little bit about Melchizedek. In Genesis 14, Melchizedek was this mysterious character, uh, a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of Christ. And Abraham pays tithes to him. And the writer of Hebrew makes the argument that Jesus is the greater high priest than the Levitical priesthood. And he is, he is not of the Levitical priesthood. He is of, of the priesthood of the order of Melchizedek. And, in fact, Levi, because he, was, he is united to Abraham, he, Levi was a grandson of Abraham, Levi actually paid tithes in Abraham to Melchizedek. So the order of Melchizedek, the writer of Hebrews says, is greater than the order of Levi. It's, a, it's an example in Scripture of how one can represent many. So everybody that's descended from Abraham paid tithes through Abraham and in Abraham to Melchizedek, who was Christ. That's just one example. But to show you that that's how God operates many times throughout Scripture. You think of sometimes uh, throughout the Old Testament when Israel had an individual who sinned. Achan, for example. The people of God went in to conquer a people. They were forbidden from taking anything uh, as spoil. Achan decided he would do so. Everyone suffered because of that. They were all united to him in his sin, and they all received a punishment for it. Well, look at verse 12. It tells us this expressly. Sin came into the world through one man, and not only that, but also death through sin. God told Adam to not eat of the tree, or he would surely die. Paul goes on in verse 12. And so... Death spread to all men because all sinned. Humans die because they all sinned in and with Adam because he represented us. We were born to die. We know that. We know that everyone who is born as human beings will die. Why? It's not the way God made the world. He didn't make the world to include death. Sin was introduced into the world through Adam, and because everyone who is a human is represented by Adam, death comes to everyone. Paul proves the point in verses 13 and 14. Sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Now, what he's saying here is this. Everyone born after Adam and before Moses was given the law on Mount Sinai, those people living between those two individuals had no express law written down for them. God did not directly communicate his law to any of these individuals. Now, it Logically speaking, if they were not united to Adam in his sin, it would stand a reason that they would live because sin, as he says, is not counted where there is no law. They didn't eat the forbidden fruit. They hadn't received the Ten Commandments yet. Yet, as verse 14 puts it, death reigned from Adam to Moses 
even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. So from Adam to Moses, people still died. Why? Because they were sinners. Why were they sinners? Because they sinned in and with Adam. They are born sinners. Because they were born sinners, they sinned. That's why we are sinners, not because we sin. We're born sinners. We sin because we're sinners. The law was written on their hearts, as chapter 2 says, but they could not keep it because they were born in sin. Like all humans who proceeded from Adam, because all humans sinned in and with Adam. And that's true for everyone here today. Every one of us is born bearing the guilt of Adam's sin. Now you see a little baby, and uh, you know they're they're so cute and mostly, and and they you, you you know you say oh they're innocent little children. Well, theologically speaking, they're not innocent. They bear the guilt of Adam's sin. David affirms this in Psalm 51. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David's affirming this truth. You know, before he, he was even born, when he was in the womb, he was a sinner. It's not something that he caught by example. It was something that he's born with because he sinned in and with Adam. Now, who likes this? <laughs> No one likes this, especially not Americans, because we're rugged individualists. We want to stand on our own two feet. We want to be judged according to the content of our character, as Martin Luther King said. We want to be judged on our own merits, not on someone else's. Well, my wife, Sarah, is an elementary school teacher, and she's been told that she cannot mete out punishment to a whole group. Uh, she, can't, she can't do whole group punishment when you know, there's only one or two people who are guilty of the crime. Now, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. You've probably experienced it at some point in your life, and especially you guys who are in the military or girls who are in the military. One person in the class or in the group does something wrong. The teacher or person in charge cannot figure out who the guilty party is, so everyone, the entire group, gets punished. And if you're innocent, you get really angry about that. Well, that's whole group punishment. And that's what we're talking about here. Adam sinned as our representative. We weren't there. We didn't eat the forbidden fruit. But yet, the guilt of it is with us. Paul says, Through one man, sin entered the world because all sinned in and with him. You are held accountable for that. In that moment, you became a sinner. And because you are a sinner, you sin in your own way. And as it states in verse 19, by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. And because sin entered the world, and we became sinners, therefore we die. Verse 15, many died through one man's trespass. Verse 17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Verse 16 and 18, share some even worse news. That you think that's bad. 
We're all sinners. We're all going to die as well. Verse 16, the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Verse 18, one, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. We may not like it, but God appointed Adam to be the head or representative of the human race, and because he sinned, we sinned, and we continue to sin, and we die, and we are condemned. Now, I hope you understand why I said at the beginning that this is a worldview issue. It strikes at the heart of our understanding of humans and human history and how we view the world around us. And it's also a gospel issue. There's good news here, thankfully. It's bad news that God appointed Adam to be our representative, our federal head, because Adam failed. The good news is that God appointed another representative the second Adam or last Adam as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians. Verse 14 tells us that Adam was a type of the one who is to come. One who is to come, a type. And he is Christ and he is the good news. Jesus came to be a new representative and to get right all that Adam got wrong. Now in the verses 15 and 16 and 17 we have a contrast between Christ and Adam. And then in 18 through 19, we have a comparison with Adam. I want to briefly run through that. And we can rejoice in this. First of all, he begins by saying, the free gift is not like the trespass. The tres word trespass means fall or stumble. Adam fell. What we get from Adam is a fall. What we get through Christ is a free gift. Many died through one man's trespass. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Isn't that wonderful? We have a new representative, and he did not fail, but he provides us a free gift. We have no condemnation now. Look at verse 16. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, Adam's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. See, Christ in his obedience brought justification, not condemnation. And then verse 17. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, and, and death reigns, you know, we're all going to die. Much more, though, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What Christ provides us is to reign in life. We will reign over death. Yes, our bodies will die, but our souls will never die, and our bodies will be resurrected. Death will have no longer a claim upon us because it did not have a claim on our representative, Jesus Christ. The grave could not hold him. Why? Because he never sinned. See, sin is a result, death is the result of sin. Jesus never sinned. Therefore, the only way that he could die was to give his life up willingly. He said it, I lay down my life willingly. No one takes it from me. Why? Because otherwise he wouldn't die. 
He had no reason to die. He was not a sinner. And he did succumb to death willingly, but the grave could not hold him because it had no claim on him. It could not hold him because there was no sin. And he rose victorious. And now he holds the keys to death in Hades. Death reigned. Death reigns for all of us. But through Christ we can reign in life. Contrast, that's the contrast. Then we have this comparison with Adam. And it demonstrates this representative nature of Adam and Christ. We see the word leads to in verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Being connected to Adam leads, in in his trespass, his fall, leads to condemnation. Being united to Christ, represented by him, leads to justification and life. And then verse 18, many are affected. By one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. By the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. We'll not be sinners. We'll be washed, cleansed, free from the guilt of sin, free from the power of sin, and one day be free from the present presence of sin. So you see here, we need a new representative. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, the first man, Adam, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now, if you're not a believer today, I want you to think about this. Every human being that lives is united to Adam by default. You don't make that choice. You're born into it. He's a bad representative. You know, if we had a a bad representative in our government, we we vote him out of office. But you can't vote Adam out of office. You have to replace him by faith. God in his mercy has provided an alternative representative for sinners such as we are, a second Adam, a life-giving spirit. And you can be united to the second Adam by faith. Put your trust in him. Place your allegiance with him. Be united to him. Be represented, represented by him. All you have to do is cry out to him. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, if you are a believer today... Rejoice in this truth. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his comments on this passage says, Look at yourself in Adam. Though you had done nothing, you were declared a sinner. Look at yourself in Christ and see that though you have done nothing, you are declared to be righteous. Christ has done it all for us. Be united to him. Again, to paraphrase Churchill, Never have so many owed so much to one person. Rejoice in that. Renew your commitment to Christ today uh, if you are a believer. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would indeed grant us faith. uh, Help our unbelief, Lord. We pray that you would help us to see clearly the world around us. Why is there sin? Why is there brokenness all around us? Why... Uh, there are so many people rebelling against God. They're 
following in the nature uh, that they inherited from Adam. Lord, we pray that many people would come to see that they need a new representative, Jesus Christ, the last Adam. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to appreciate all the more what you have done for us in providing this new representative and in, in, in yourself coming down, suffering the punishment for our sins, receiving the justice for what we've done wrong so that we might be declared righteous before you, accepted by you, brought into your family and declared to be your children and you, our Heavenly Father. And we pray, Lord, this in Jesus' name. Amen.